Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Welcome to the Coach Your Brains Out book club. It has been a while. We're still plugging through this amazing book that John wrote um, and I helped with called Coach Your Brains Out. We're on chapter six, competition and to ask questions, we brought in our old friend, original host, Nils Nielsen. It's been a while. Still around, still coaching. Thanks for having me back. Billy, you wrote this chapter. You're taking credit. They're giving me credit. You wrote this one. I'm giving you blame in case blame. people don't like it. But it's a... Uh... No, for those reading reading along, uh, yeah, we're on chapter six, competition. And uh, it's a good one. So let's... Nils, you have some questions? It's been... Few years since we wrote the book i'm sure some stuff's changed so let's get into it yeah that was kind of my my thought on uh some of these questions was just kind of where you guys are at with competition these days how you implement them in your practice uh maybe some of the frameworks that are in the book some updates to those frameworks and, and we'll see what happens how's that sound uh, so let's do it uh i mean so right off the bat how much of your guys's practice nowadays center around competition John? Yeah, I would say it hasn't changed a lot um, since writing the book. I've always valued competing and uh, a lot of practices is around it. Uh, I think there's, I mean, I know we'll get into it more, but I think there's times to adjust the dial, you know, and have it more competitive or less competitive. There's, there's benefits to, um, you know, maybe not having scoring in an activity because Maybe someone will explore more or try try things more outside their comfort zone when there isn't some sort of scoring pressure. But then I could, uh, on the other side of it, another way to incentivize people to maybe try hitting a new set or serving a new ball uh, is to put points on it. So that's a way to incentivize people. Um, but I mean, all of our matches are scored uh, so far that we've played at the college level. And I think that's the same for every level of volleyball. So I think it makes sense to have most of your, your practices with some sort of competing or score on the line. Billy, what yeah, about you and your clubs? Yeah. Yeah. Similar. We'll do a warm up game to start and that's, you know, that's scored. And we have winners. A lot of times it's like a move up ladder thing. Um, so that's competitive. And then we get into a lab and that's the one thing we do that isn't scored. Um, kind of like John's saying, gives them a chance to explore and try new things without, fear of like blowing it for their team. Um, I think when I used to do tutors, which is the same kind of time space, we might have scored it for like servers versus, versus passers or something. Um, but with the lab, we usually, we don't score. And then we get into more games um, where we're back to competing and scoring. I think at first the competition will be usually like a crossover from the stuff we worked on in the lab. So 
a little more constrained with either bonus points and stuff like that for for certain movements. And then by the end, the competition gets kind of freer and freer. Um, so by the end, they're hopefully not overthinking some technique or anything, and they're just uh, letting their skills out. So, uh, and I meant to add on one area that I've been working on trying to add more competition is the weight room. And I, I know not everybody has a strength coach or has a, you know, uses the weight room, but, but I know a lot of people have that, that component or do some sort of agility or something. But what I've observed is traditionally in the weight room, it's you do your 10 reps. Uh, maybe the competition is I'm going to try to get a little bit more weight next week, but it's, uh, it's not, yeah, it's typically not a competition. And I've been trying to switch that and trying to just blend this idea of, you know, when did weight start, when did practice begin, where, um, you know, hopefully we're, we're competing. And yeah, so I think having, whether it's uh, doing partner stuff where you have a relay race or you put points on some sort of agility thing, or um, I think there's lots of ways to do it. And you can even do the same activities you're currently doing. But I think adding some sort of competitive element makes a lot of sense. That reminds me. John, when we were in, I think Hamburg or somewhere, where we were where you were coaching Stafford and me. Um, you even made like sleep a competition. You're like, I think we had a long day somewhere, and you're like, who can recover more, and get the most sleep? Um, so that was kind of fun to frame it that way. And of course, I won because Stafford was a big, big Instagram guy. <laughs> was yeah. it just amount of sleep, total hours? Was it deep sleep thing? What were you guys competing? Total hours. Who can get to bed the fastest, like soonest, and then like you know sleep the longest. Because mm -hmm. we, I've worn the sleep tracker for a while now, and uh, me and Caitlin often compete on our deep sleep. She gets a lot more hours. I often get more deep sleep than her. So that's our competition. Maybe weighted because I can't sleep as much as she can, but I can out deep sleeper. Got to find your spot to get wins. Any way you can get a win, take it. <laughs> uh so you i mean it sounds like your practices haven't necessarily changed a ton since you wrote the book but what are some of the determining factors you guys use to figure out how much competition you want like are you trying how are you figuring out transfer how are you figuring out what the players uh are responding to i would say a little bit time of year i think it's important to consider where you are in your season so i think from a like zoomed out you know, maybe preseason thinking that way, probably a lot less, maybe even measuring um, and probably practices where there's less time keeping score because um, we want to see novel failure. We want to see new ideas. We want to see some creative solutions. We want to see new movement solutions. And I think if you're scoring it or measuring it, then people are going to go to what's comfortable and what they are already good at a lot. And then even just if we zoom in within a week, if we're more in the competitive season, I, I think about it the same way, whether it's right or wrong. I don't know. It makes sense in my head. But that maybe if we're competing Friday, then Monday would be a little bit more exploratory, maybe a longer lab where we're, we're doing less scoring. And then as the week ramps up, the competing gets higher. And by Thursday, there's, you know, maybe eliminate the lab and it's just a shorter practice where we're we're getting after it. Like we're battling and we're, um, putting stuff on the line and maybe the losing team has to uh, be in charge of carrying our our tent uh, for the next day or I don't know finding ways to put pressure on the line so that's that's kind of how I view it and uh, I think it makes sense can I ask you what, what do you do anything to make sure that it doesn't get weighted toward the same people winning all the time 
Um, well, yeah, because I think there's a lot of variability in practice. So one day, maybe someone who's a really good server is going to be more successful. And then another day, maybe we're working on transition defense and that's going to be rewarded or you can get more points there. And then another day, maybe it's blocking balls. So I think, I mean, if someone's really well-rounded and your best player, they're going to win a lot of those, but, but because of the, the variety of things we're working on and, and even because we'll probably have them do things they've never tried before. Uh, I think it leads to some, but um, yeah, usually the the best, I don't know, the best players will figure those out and they'll win more often, which is, I think you want to be aware of that. It's going to help inform who should be in the starting lineup. What about you, Nils? How are you using competition in practice? I definitely use it. We're going to be using it a lot more this fall because we'll have enough uh, bodies in the gym to actually be able to do what we want. But we have a thing where we'll probably do what we were doing this past fall were um, like workup ladders, two versus two. We did. We started almost every practice with that. Uh, for a while, I was starting with just your typical warmups. And then we get into some, uh, you guys call it labs, drills or whatever skill work we're doing or isolating whatever part of the game we're working on before we'd get into uh, six on six type of stuff. And there was a, there was this lag in the games where the girls would, we'd warm up and we were really slow to start. Um, and it took me, you know, it seemed obvious once you figured it out, but it, it took me a while to figure out like, Oh, it's in practices. We're going slow. Like we're warming up and then we get into all this stuff super slow and that's showing up in our games. And so once we started switching it where we'd, we'd go through a normal warm up, some sort of dynamic warm up, and then I mean, pretty much right away we were doing, we were doing competitions. Um, there was a big difference between if you just had competitions and you're saying like doing a workups that was, that worked fairly well. If you write a score on the board, um, even if it was completely arbitrary for that day and just you're going to have a point assigned to your name and it's going to be on a board that fired, fired girls up quite a bit. It was, it was quite a bit more competitive just having it written on the whiteboard, whoever was winning, and then you'd circle the the top scores and that kind of stuff. So competition definitely plays a huge part in, in what we're trying to do. We'll probably have more of a cauldron type of thing moving forward where we're kind of maybe have a section of practice at least once a week or maybe multiple times a week where um, we're, we're keeping a ongoing or a rolling score for that entire time. And I kind of want to experiment with that uh, to see what that looks like. Cause sometimes those girls, like a girl would come in and have a bad day and she wouldn't care or, or you know, the, the motivation after a while, like you have to keep the, the competitions fresh, but it was good. I mean, it, having competition is, is key, I think, um, which kind of segues into the next question that I'm curious for you guys is like, how do you define competition? Do you guys have conversations around it? Like what, what is the message? What does the conversation sound like, um, to your team about the role of competition in your gyms and in the games and in your culture? You want to start, Billy? Um, yeah, I mean, I think when we talk about I think when I talk about competition, I usually think about um, like the actual tournaments the girls play in, uh, separate from practice. Um, and it, we just look at it as uh, a gift, like an amazing opportunity. To, to, I mean, they're fun. Um, they're exciting. There's a chance for us to compete and you know measure ourselves, see what we've been working on. Um, I think the reality of competition um, is, is different than practice, no matter how you intense you can make practice uh, i just try to frame it like a really cool challenge and uh, hopefully they're excited to 
you know, the night before and they're excited when we're playing. Yeah. They, hopefully they love it. Yeah. And I, I, to the conversations point, I think I try to let the practice design do the speaking, you know, versus trying to define it or talk about the importance. I mean, and I'm, I'm at the college level, so maybe it's a little bit different, but if you recruited someone who isn't like excited to compete, then maybe they're in the wrong line of work. Um, but yeah, if you're, if your practice is filled with it and then even like team building activities where, I don't know, we're playing uh, spike ball and I don't know, we're just always competing. So it just seems like kind of part of the fabric of who we are. So I think that does the speaking more than, I don't know if I did like a, a whiteboard session kind of thing. Do you have any situations where a player is potentially uh, overly competitive and a hindrance to themselves due to that? Um, I, I could picture that a little bit. Um, I don't know if overly competitive would be the issue versus I could picture maybe having some emotional regulation, like not able to control um you know their emotions like getting really high or really really uh upset or really um angry and some of those could come across as you know like you know they don't respond to losing well or, or whatever so i guess i would I'd frame it more that way um i don't know if i've had a player where i'm like oh they're too competitive like i don't like that <laughs> i think i'd, I'd want to keep bringing that out i would just i think if like their emotions were you know, taking them away from playing the way they could that when they play their best, then that, that would be the discussion. Like, I know how much you love competing, but I can see when something's not going your way, you're not uh, responding. You're not being the teammate. You're not competing or not playing the way that you're capable of. So I guess I'd want to um, probably reframe it around, around that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a tough one without like kind of having the specific situation. Well, I only think because we we do talk about it and, and it's come up a few times as far as like exactly what you're talking about. Like um, somebody wants to win so bad that they lose emotional regulation. They lose the uh, the tactics or whatever we're trying to implement just because they're mm -hmm. trying to win. And it's like you need to calm down and, and figure reframe what you're what you're doing. So we've had to do some work around around it and actually forced me to articulate a little bit more about like, what do I believe competition is and and what part of it plays. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, Billy, have you ever run into anybody who you felt like was maybe too competitive? I think kind of like what John was saying, uh, I think we call a lot of times bad uh, characteristics and like being a bad teammate competitive. They're kind of like synonymous when I don't see it that way for me, being competitive is doing everything you can to win. And my experience, the people I've played with, that's usually trying to bring the most out of your teammates, um, you know, not shifting blame and throwing tantrums, which is, I think most of the time people think of as, oh, they're just being competitive. Um, but yeah, I think I would frame it like kind of like John saying like, oh, that, like first approach them as that's an asset. Like, oh, it's really cool that you're so competitive and you want to win. Um, but like, you know, are we going about it the right way and is being effective with your teammates? Yeah. And a lot of times I think the natural response is like calm down and that's probably the, worst thing you could tell them because right? they're in an emotional state they're like <laughs> yeah screw you um 
So, I mean, I think some of it's like, you got to validate, like, I see you're frustrated. I can tell you're upset. I can tell you're like, you're really angry with what's going on. And just like, I get it. Like, I understand. You know, I can see why you feel that way. And maybe validating and, and making them feel seen starts to get them to have more awareness. And then, then some changes maybe could be made. But a lot of times when you're in that state, it's like, you know, Ken Revisa's like red light zone. It's hard to get out of a red light. I think you have to start to maybe, as, as you know, your players really well, see when they're in a yellow light, when they're starting to head that direction. And that's maybe wh where you can start to make some changes. And I think a lot of it's having conversations off the court around it. Um, you know, talking about what they value, what sort of how they want to compete, how they want to carry themselves, what they're like at their best, and then giving them reminders of that and really acknowledging and affirming when you see them, whatever whatever they said, like, oh, I'm at my best when I'm, I'm really present and I'm, I'm communicating. And then, you know, when you see them starting to get quiet and thinking about the last play or talking about the last player, then then you can start to acknowledge it and, and um, bring it to their attention before they get to that you know, maybe that frustrated, frenzied state. What role does trash talk or or friendly banter? How did what what role does that play in your gyms? Nils, you don't even know what you're talking about. It's such a terrible question. <laughs> I would never. Uh, really, why don't you start on that one? Yeah, it's never really played a role. It's never been something I've you know encouraged or shied away from. I just never really addressed it. I just assume you know if they're going hard. They're competing how they, you know, whatever their personality is like. Um, I was kind of surprised because we had Dan Fisher and Bernie Holiday on it. He was really like poking the fire and wants his girls to be have that he wants swagger, swag, swag, yeah. yeah, and talk trash. It's never something I've pushed. Um, I mean, maybe it's different at the juniors level, uh, probably not. <laughs> um, but I mean, as long as you're going hard, I think we do, we might chip in some stuff from the sidelines as coaches just to like, uh, to add stress to the situations like, Oh, it's game point. Miss it, sir. You know, stuff like that. Um, like we'll do a lot of stuff. Like if you get an ace, you win the drill. If you miss too many serves, you lose. When it comes down to those crunch times, we might be just calling it out so that they're aware of it and adding a little pressure, but I've never, I mean, maybe it's wrong, but I've never like told one of our girls to be like talking trash to their teammates. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was really cool hearing the way Dan talked about it. I know how much he values, that idea of like swagger and I guess kind of being, I don't know if competitive is the right word, but it seems like he creates a, a culture where it's not, you know, derogatory or um, you're, it's just more like we're going to try to build each other up by kind of going back and forth a little bit. Uh, I think there's a way to do it effectively. We, we have conversations around it because we have some really competitive people and some people who aren't afraid to run their mouth. So we've, we've talked about actually from JP Nurbin's book, uh, the culture system. He talks about like what's acceptable in your culture, what's unacceptable, what's just the standard. So we'll go through different topics as a team. And that's one of them we've talked about is, is uh, kind of banter through the net competitive, you know, talk, you know, making calling like a touch on yourself, just those sorts of things. And um, <clears throat> kind of let them decide. And, and I try to guide the discussion, but I know things they've said is like, well, you kind of got to know your audience, like, you know, which is it someone on the team that, you know, you have that sort of relationship with, and maybe you've been in the program three years and you're going to kind of bring the best out of each other, or, you know, is it someone that won't respond so well? Um, but I've always put like, I've pushed them and said, I want us to try to win. I want us to try to battle and, and to be yourself. And if, if someone gets a little bit more 
when they're more verbal and, um, you know, being talkative, then I'm for it as long as it's, you know, respectful. We don't want to cross that line. There are times where we will set up games where it's, you know, like 10, 10 in the, the final in the third set. And we have all the teams come around and that's when I push them like people on the outside, you know, pretend like you're, I'm not going to name the school, but there's some schools that talk a lot of trash, pretend like you're them and just go at the other side and just let them have it just so we can experience it. Right. Cause if you never get in that environment and your practice is, you know, so safe and, and warm and fuzzy, then that's going to be kind of shocking when you have that happen. So, so we'll do it purpose purposefully in those situations. Um, and they generally have fun with it. I remember uh, meeting with, when I played with Stafford, um, we're definitely different personalities on the court and meeting with Peter Habrell, our sports psychologist, because I feel like it would take me out of my game when he was like talking too much to the other team in the crowd. <laughs> um, but it's something that I had learned that just like, yeah, let him be himself. Um, and if, if he plays better when he's, you know, strutting around <laughs> and saying stuff, uh, that's good for our team. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something I've had to learn as a coach. Like, you know, you, I think you as a, a young coach, you just, well, they got to be how I was because that worked for me. And then like, the better you get, you, you understand, you got to get to know people. And, you know, obviously there's things that like standards you want to have and lines you don't want to cross, but I think you have to be open-minded about, you know, listening to them and understanding who they are and their personalities. And, and for lots of people being more verbal is helpful. So you don't want to like, you don't want to take that away from them and make them, it's, I think it's a lot of times it's just about channeling it like where do you want to put that how do you want to use that how can it be as productive as possible um so yeah i think that's the fun stuff what, what do you do nils swear jar uh i for the most part i discourage it um there was there's a few incidences with this the team that i had early on and we kind of discussed it and it was like essentially what what we came around to the framework of um if, if you're talking trash and you're tearing your teammates down it's probably not a good idea right that's not going to help them you don't want to you don't want to chip away at their confidence chip away at their trust potentially uh if you're doing it in a way where you're challenging them to be better maybe we can we can deal with that but the reality is if you just focus on making sure that the people around you are at their best and you are at your best, that's going to be the lowest hanging fruit and the most beneficial. Uh, the trash talk piece of things is, is like such a small percentage of what we need to do to be successful that we might as well just forget it, just move on. So I think there is a point to it. Uh, I think at the higher the level, maybe there's more uh, benefit to it or there's there's something to it. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it's, I just recently had a Kobe Bryant book uh, on, on my desk. And he was talking about a section with Kevin Garnett and he was saying how good of a trash talker Kevin Garnett was and bringing people out of their own game and making them play worse. And he, Kevin Garnett knew that if he spoke to Kobe and trash talk Kobe, that it would make Kobe better. So he specifically abstained from saying or doing anything toward Kobe. So it was like, that's interesting that he was aware of exactly what he was doing. And he was trying to take guys out of his game. These are NBA players at the top, top, top of the thing. I think when you filter it down, there's some potential in college, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't think there's a ton of um, benefit to it. And I think if you have it a lot in your own culture, in at least in your gym, unless you're one of those top, top teams, it's 
you're playing with fire. I think it has more potential to blow your team up and, and to break, break things down than it does to, to add to it. So that's kind of how, where we settled on it. Um, but every once in a while, you know, challenging somebody, if you're doing something and we talked about like challenge and threat mind states, if you're doing something like I'll go over to one of the things I'll do to a servers all the time is I'll go up to them as they're on the service line. And I just start yelling, distraction, distraction, distraction. So it's very clear what I'm doing. I'm trying to distract you and it's your job to not allow me to do that. Right. 90% of the time when I do that to a server, they serve better. And it just triggers a focus level in them. And they know that what I'm doing is I'm kind of trying to create in them that challenge mindset. Like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. I got this. Um, but if you do it in a way that's, you're a terrible server, you're awful. It's, it just has the opposite effect. I think it can erode some of the trust. So the way you do it, I think is very, very important. And it's just not something that I think most, even collegiate, definitely like lower than collegiate Players have enough awareness, both uh, self-awareness and social awareness to play with, to make it beneficial. So do you guys think there's a, a kind of a double standard where if it's a men's team, it's allowed and we kind of just part of the culture where women's team, we stop it and they, I don't know, it's too petty or whatever. Uh, I shut it down when I was coaching the high school guys. There was a lot of it. There only two. The, the example that I have is um, there were two brothers that were playing on the team and they were relentless with each other <laughs> after a while. And a lot of conversations, I just kind of let it go between them because they would bring out, they would play really well. Uh, but we actually had conversations around the team. It's like those two guys are doing something that they're brothers, if anybody's not, a, if, if your brother's not on the team, we're not going to do that. If those two guys are going at it, everybody knows that they're going to play better. So let them do it. But everybody else was shut down. So in that case, it was like, I think it's more ego. If it's ego driven from a guy, it's not helping that guy. So probably should be doing it. Whenever we play Northridge, back when you guys were playing there, there was a, a setter on the other side, uh, Ty Trambley, if I remember right. And he he was not afraid to go through the net. Uh, but uh, well, if, like I remember, if I remember correctly Pepperdine was the only team through my entire career that we never beat so <laughs> clearly that did not it didn't work. work it didn't work okay it's funny it seemed like it pumped him up for a little bit at least <laughs> yeah yeah no because playing against him on the beach he was a guy that I would compliment um, instead of <laughs> saying anything because it kind of takes the fire out because he looks for any kind of yeah yeah slight or chip on his shoulder yeah yeah hey great swing Todd that was amazing <laughs> Yeah, completely. You know, okay. So we'll, we'll pivot here. Um, when you guys are creating like competitions and in, in your practice plans and stuff, are you trying to recreate as much as you can uh, game like stress or do you potentially go the other route where you're trying to bring awareness of stress to what happens in the game so that you can reduce that piece of it? What do you guys focus on more? What would be an example of decreasing it? What do, what do you mean by that? Uh, just trying to make the game seem like almost less important or make sure that you're really just focused on all the process. And we're, we're always just trying to get better. You know what I mean? Instead of actually putting it out there. Uh, yeah, probably, probably try to do a little bit of both, but more often trying to get closer to the game. And, and probably like I was talking about within that week as we get 
maybe closer to competition as you know the end of the week do more stuff where you add add pressure and trying to find ways to to raise the level i think when, when the intensity is higher when it feels like there's stuff on the line that's i think it's probably the most transfer and even potentially the most learning so the things we'll do i was mentioning we'll do uh we'll have the whole like we'll stop kind of stop practice have all the team come around and pick a side and and they'll just go nuts for their side um or we'll do uh like I was also saying, we'll we'll put something on the line. Like you know, the losing team has to uh, be in charge of the the um, med balls or whatever whatever like equipment we're bringing. So I'm always looking for ways to make it more challenging, more pressure filled. Um, I think interacting with that is helpful, and I think it prepares them. You've uh, you've given a couple examples of potentially like the stick method. If you're, if you're not winning, you get punished. Do you have any carrots that you have for the winners or is winning carrot enough? Uh, yeah, I guess it's mainly, I'm trying to think. Um, we've done, yeah, uh, nothing's coming to mind. We've done, you get a, a ball Harsh. massage. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, sometimes I've done where they get to choose maybe the warm up the next day, or um, trying to think. Oh, oh, we've done. Uh, sometimes we'll stay in uh, Airbnbs when we travel, and the bed and housing situation is a little like it's better to have first pick. So we'll play, and then the winners get to choose their their uh, room or their bed. That seems pretty high stakes. It's pretty fun. They get re- that's probably <laughs> the most competitive practice we'll have all year. Uh, you, you know, are you on a futon in the kitchen, or do you have a master bed with a bathroom? Um, but yeah, I'm, I guess I'm always seeking out either way, like some way to incentivize. Not always, but in the right moments, I'm, I'm trying to find those sorts of things. Um, then yeah, I think some of the drills we do. We'll do a lot of mini games, um, especially at the end of practice. Just, you know, doesn't give them a lot of room for, it's, you know, it's intense for like those five, seven points. Um, I wouldn't, we try to incorporate that a lot, like I said, with like announcing the score and we'll do, you know, tournament style where their point, we don't do really do cauldron like over a whole, you know, week or two, but we do like, you know, try to make those games matter and they get to write the names on the board. Um, I haven't, as far as like the deregulating the stress of the real tournaments, um, haven't really played with that much. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever tell them like this is a, this isn't important or this isn't a big deal. Um, but at the same time, like I never feel like we add pressure of like oh we need to finish here or we need to have some sort of expectation. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Um, so I've got a, a quote for you guys. I want to get your opinion on a quote. All right. The quote goes like this: uh, We don't rise. To the occasion we fall to the level of our training um do you want my opinion first yes um i think with this kind of stuff i think the same with confidence and momentum i think it's best to have two minds about it that are contradictory um where you like i think it's very helpful in practice to think you rise to the level of your uh, preparation and that should be the center focus but i do think you should also switch in a game and believe that you can rise to opportunities. Um, I remember thinking about it like uh, reading some book now where they talk about the shooter's mentality, where they believe that if they've missed a lot of shots, 
oh, that, that means they're due. The odds are in their favor. Like they're going to make the next one. And in the same, in the same brain, he'll think if he's made a whole bunch, oh, then he's on fire. He's still going to make more, you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, so I think for that quote, I think it's true that you need to prepare hard and that's very important. I do believe there are, you know, some gamers out there. Um, but I think you should use that quote and that mentality to work for you both ways, even if it's not logical. Uh, Billy nailed it. Um, I get, I get it. And I get why coaches use it. I think it's kind of BS though. <laughs> I think it's just like sort of made up. I mean, I get it from like an intention and effort standpoint, but I mean, all the motor learning science would tell you that like messiest practice, the most failure, like those are the practices where there's the most learning. So I don't know if you're talking about like, you need to have a perfect practice to play well the next day. I had so many like terrible warmups or I don't know, terrible, like failure field, frustrating practices where I really struggled. And then the next day in competition, I played great. And then the opposite where the practice just went so well, or the warm up went so well, feeling so good. And then you go out and just lay an egg. So I don't know. I, I get the sentiment, but I think it's just a story. Good story, bad story, story you don't like. <laughs> I think like Billy said, it's use the story however you want to frame it. You can use it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of these things, like these placebos that athletes and coaches use. Like use the story how, whatever way. You can always just turn it your your direction. And those are powerful. So use them. But it's just it's good to know. It's just like some dude just said that one time and it's not necessarily true. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, it, it actually like- comes from Navy SEAL training, yeah, which yeah. Uh, I think is there's some parallels, but there's also some not parallels to sport performance. Yeah, it is. And I know it's from a Navy SEAL, but it's like, it's just a quote. To me, it seems like just a warning to, to practice hard, which is, which is good too. But yeah, I'd hate to tell a player that they can't rise <laughs> to meet challenges. Yeah. Um, so we, you, you guys talk a lot and in, in the book that a, a big part of competition is staying focused as much as possible on the things within our control. Um, how do you guys go about bringing awareness to those types of things to your team? And we can go through, I wrote the list of, uh, things within your control, but I think a lot of that becomes is, is just an awareness, like that those are the conversations that I'm having with, with the teams is awareness of things that are within your control without your control. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's so much of uh, sports and it seems like the people who come into our team, they have a history of things being valued out of their control. A lot of the praise they've received about how good they are or how they can't do this and how when it's windy they never play well or there's all these like again stories that have been told from parents coaches that are generally things out of their control so i guess it's trying to bring awareness to that and point that out and uh and then again have discussions around what they value because we can we can control our values and then in practice really affirming controllables you know really affirming noticing pointing out um, yeah, show, or yeah, I guess those things noticing when, when they really are, uh, bringing out their best or they they've got great body language or the efforts there, or they're bringing the best out of the people around them. Like those are the times you want to give, I mean, affirmations sort of like a version of praise, but with some meat behind it, like you're really, um, noticing it, naming it, 
valuing it. And then they start to see that's what you're about. That's what your program's about. That's what your, your, your culture is about. And I think the focus can slowly shift, but it's not an overnight, an overnight thing when you've had probably 15 years of, of the focus being on uncontrollables. Yeah, I think uh, it's important to, to list them. And, you know, if you can't have them list them, like maybe it's a good thing to go around in the circle on the whiteboard and, you know, name some some things that are in your control, out of your control, or just problems that might be arise and categorize them. And hopefully they can they can see that so they can know, like, in this bullseye is the stuff we're focusing on because that's in our control. Um, another thing we do is, like, kind of our team values. I think we stole it from... Uh, Coach Becker with the national team. Um, uh, I guess our the values for the team is best attitude, best effort, best teammate, and you know those are things in your control um, at practice and at tournaments, no matter the score. And so that's kind of what we harp on more than those other things that are outside their control. And I think you know as coaches, if you're you know again if you're talking about this, if you're say hey think about only the things that are in your control but then you're talking about stuff like the score and things that might be outside their control, then that's definitely a mixed message. I was, we've been, um, you know, having my daughter, she's 10 years old and now playing more and more sports and youth sports. And as we, you know, you're, I don't know, you're at a club soccer tournament and have parents come up or you see kids from other teams and, and, or whatever, grandparents, everything that the first part of the conversation when they ask about her, they want to tell you something. It's yeah, we won and I had an assist. Or, you know, we lost, but I had two goals and, you know, it's never, yeah, I, I, I was a great teammate and, you know, I mean, it sounds cheesy when you say it like that, but th that's just the narrative. That's what they think everyone wants to hear. Um, but it'd be fun if it was shifted to more like, yeah, we were, you know, we had really worked on um, this, you know, specific sort of defense and we were able to execute it. And, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I was able to cover this spot that I've really been working on. And uh, it'd be fun if there was more of that sort of stuff. Um, but it seems like the, the typical is right. You just go straight to that uh, result. Yeah. Outside perspective versus inside perspective, I think is an important articulation on teams. Mm -hmm. So the outside perspective, I mean, all, all anybody cares about mostly is going to be the score. Mm -hmm. Did you win or did you lose? Internally, we talk about a lot of other things. And in fact, I think the score becomes one of those things that's on the list of things that are outside of your control. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. It's obviously an important part. Like I'm not saying right. we shouldn't, the score is important. I don't want to be like, Oh, we didn't keep score and you know, nothing mattered. Like that stuff matters. It's a big part of sport, but it seems like it's a hundred percent. It'd be nice if it was just a part of the story and there was other components that, that came up. I also think there's, there's nuance um, because there's stuff in your control, there's stuff outside your control, but there's still stuff you can influence a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. the score being one of them and maybe even that, that third tier uh, maybe is helpful too. Well, do you guys do any, uh, any specific drills or anything to bring awareness to those things or is it just conversations? Sorry, drills or competitions. Um, so some of the controllables like body language, communication, mm -hmm. strategy. Uh, yeah, I would say some of it. I mean, we'll, you know, weather, obviously that's a big one on the beach, but we'll do things that reward, you know, a back set, which <laughs> makes you think about the weather or killing the ball in certain parts of the court. Um, 
communicate. I mean, we'll do lots of stuff with communication. We'll play games where you're not allowed to talk. We'll do games where if you say something that's unhelpful, you can only watch the point. A lot of people, after they set on the beach, they'll start yelling line, 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 and then say angle at the last second. So that, you know, that's more in play communication. Um, but we'll, we'll try to put points on, on different controllables. Some of them, you know, I don't know if you can necessarily do body language. Um, for sure, tactics. We'll do lots of stuff around tactics. So yeah, some of them. I mean, I think effort is a common one you see in gyms. Like if you don't go for balls, right? Um, you know, maybe there's minus points and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You're not mm-hmm. recovering. Okay. Um, you got the one of the things in the chat in the, the chapter was the frameworks. I thought it might be helpful for people to hear the frameworks or a few of the frameworks and then see if you guys have any new or updated frameworks. Um so the the first one, I think entry level, one of the best ones that I still use in, in my gym is the uh, challenge versus threat mindset. Um, John, do you want to maybe articulate that a little bit to somebody who doesn't know about it and then maybe how you implement it or do you implement it anymore? Is that still something that you use? Yeah, no, I do. It's, I think it's a great concept and really easy, a simple one that, that gets across. It's from Ashley Merriman's book, uh, top dog. And it seems like the simplest way is they, they did a study on, um, penalty kicks in soccer. So when someone was kicking to win the game, they would make it 90% of the time when they're kicking. And if they missed, they'd lose the game. It was more like 60%. So there's a 30% gap, whether it was viewed as, you know, a challenge, I can help my team win or a threat. If, oh, if I mess up, we're going to lose. So that's, and that's with professional players. I'd imagine at the amateur level, it's, it's even more pronounced. So when you understand that and you see that, oh, that's within my control to, you know, to decide, am I approaching this, you know, not to lose or to play it safe or, you know, trying not to mess up or am I approaching it with a, a challenge mindset? Like here's an opportunity. Uh, I want to take a reasonable risk. I'm going to try to make a play for my team. I'm playing to PR to be my best. Then that's where I think you can create the sort of team, the sort of players you want. So yeah, even just simple as, you know, you tell that story and then um, I know some players will just, before the play, remind themselves, you know, you know, CRT, challenge or threat, which direction do I want to go? Um, A lot of the times, I think naturally we can go to that threat state and it's easy to stay there if you don't notice it and then remind yourself that that you want to uh, take on a challenge. Billy, what about you? You still use that? Uh, I use them mostly for myself, <laughs> like when I'm playing in tournaments, um, just feeling myself, you know, with mindfulness or whatever, slipping into more of a threat state. Um, you know, it's one of those things where just because you read that in a book and you understand the difference, um, it doesn't mean you, you're just immune to the threats from then on. Um, you know, I've had times where I'm identifying like, wow, I feel like in a real threat state right now. And it's, it's hard to make that change to see it as a challenge. Um, so I think, with all these things on the mental side, you know, it's not like a clean, clean things, but the more you can articulate and give examples. Um, and then, you know, in game, maybe have that conversation with the players, you know, with threat state and challenge state and where are we at and how can we look at this as a challenge on this next point. Niels, you said this is one you use. Um, I guess, yeah. yeah. How does that get? Yeah, this is one. We'll uh, we'll have a conversation at some point early on in the season, uh, usually or preseason training. I'll have a day where I, I purposefully have a chalk talk on challenge or threat. And then it's something that I'll just, I'll use uh, in game. It tends to 
again, it's an awareness thing. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're able to come out of it, but they are now aware of it. So it might, there might be a lag, there might be some time, but just asking, Hey, challenge or threat when they go back to serve um, oftentimes will get a player to just kind of calm down, you know, and, and trigger into more of a challenge uh, state. So, but you have to set it up uh, early on in the season, just so they understand it and doesn't take more than five minutes. I mean, John did a great, great job there of kind of summing up almost exactly what, uh, I talked to my team about, and then we'll use it throughout the season. So yeah, I still use that quite a bit actually. Um, so I'm always curious if you guys have updated anything. Um, the next one was uh, traffic light and it was just kind of red, yellow, green, as far as how you are feeling. Do you guys use this? Have you updated it? Where, where does this land? Yeah, I, I think it's such an impactful thing and, and a lot of these it's it's not for everyone you got to introduce it and some people like it and some people connects with and others it's like well, let's find something different so it's i don't think you can say it's just across the board will work but it's one that almost everyone's familiar with you know red red yellow green so it's easy to go go to um yeah green is when you're you go you're you're gonna you're not even thinking you're just continuing to act uh maybe there the least often then yellows when you're in that in between maybe starting to think and question and doubt and then reds you know probably when you've you've lost it <laughs> you're not yourself you're not competing the way you want to compete being the player you want to be something we we added we learned from bernie uh we got these heart monitors and i forget the name of it now but you're able to track basically by and through this app it kind of shows you your your state and then bernie was able to explain it where you can kind of see when someone's more in the red yellow or green and then we had them do some some breath regulation or do some things to learn how to uh, adjust their their signal and sometimes practicing it even at home or a couple we had a couple a player who really struggled with this and we'd have her come off and she wasn't allowed to go back in until she got the the it's like the zone that she was um, allowed to play so and that was happening in real time yeah mm. He says they'll do it with baseball players, like you know, maybe in BP they're they're frustrated and and then they're you know in that red zone and then so they'll have them come off and they're not able to go back in until they get to the the green. So I think there's ways to take this. I mean, that's a way to like actually measure it. Um, but I think it works even if you just get the the concept across and and work on it. But like I said, it, it's very difficult when you're gotten so deep into the red and so frustrated and, and angry to come out of it. And it's not like you're going to go red to green. Uh, so it probably takes time and, and, and also practicing tools like mindfulness and, and focus. So you, I think you have a better shot of making changes. If you, if you have some of those tools at your disposal, otherwise you can get really stuck. Really? Yeah. We, we haven't used the traffic light very much just because we use the traffic light for out of system hitting um, and some other things, uh, you know, green light situations. Um, I did like how uh, I was at a practice yesterday for Rob Browning's team at St. Mary's and um, they would do it on their check-in like by their name. They'd have like, I think four categories, volleyball, uh, maybe emotionally, mentally, and physically. And they would write basically with whatever color pen they were at, uh, Green, I think it was green, blue, or red, but same idea. Um, it's kind of a cool way to check in and see it on the whiteboard. Like, and coach can maybe use that as like a way to check in with players if they're, if they're in the red. His team had no reds though, so they were all good. That's right. 
It's a solid spring. Still early in this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, training versus trusting. Billy, you, you don't know much about this with the internet. I know. Uh, but do you guys, uh, how, what role does that play? How do you guys use that one? Yeah. Um, I just give them a book and tell them to read it. And they're, they're set. Um, yeah, I think just, I mean, I guess to go over the idea, um, there are times where we want to be learning something new and taking skills in and really maybe thinking about technique and what you're doing and process. Um, and that's not the state we are usually in to be our best in a tournament. We're worried about what our feet are doing or what our hands are doing or, um, you know, some technique stuff. Um, you want to be, you know, just focus on maybe a target, maybe focused on um, an action or a, an attitude you have, like be aggressive, you know, serve whatever. Um, and so I think it's important in practice to, to get the reps doing it. Um, usually our first part of practice, uh, you know, we'll be in the, the training mindset where we're working on new stuff and really aware of it and maybe judgmental. And then once we, you know, shift into more play, you know, I've had, I've found it very helpful as a player to have like almost a light switch idea where this part of practice we're, we're trusting now and I'm not overly critical. Um, we use kind of like that idea. Uh, I don't know if it's in the book, but about the, in the book though for internet is the thinking ground, trusting ground. Um, just kind of make sure you step in to the batter's box or whatever, when you're fully trusted and committed rather than still evaluating, like maybe you would have in the, training mindset yeah john have you found I, have you found your your players like that concept or is it difficult yeah no i think the, the players like it uh and we used to be a little bit more like on the board and put what was training and trusting um but yeah i think, I think it comes across just in, in the design of practice but we i've now have uh any newcomer to our program they have to read or they get to read the internet before uh before they enter the program so i'd recommend it for other coaches too yeah i think it's just a great introduction to a lot of these concepts and it's a fun way to learn about it and i think it's going to really help our players be ahead i think some some of it's like you know you have these players in your program and you've covered a lot of this ground and then you have someone new come in and it all is confusing it doesn't make sense so i think the book catches people up to speed so you can start just so you can start on the same page. So Read I think it's also, I think it's also helpful um, if you're telling the players to be, uh, you know, committed and trusting during the, you know, whatever part of practice, but then you're still giving a lot of feedback on maybe how they're holding their hands. Uh, maybe you're sending mixed messages. So I think that's a good reminder as coaches, maybe the feedback can be more on, you know, were you aggressive on that play? Were you committed? Um, you know, focus on the target, maybe more of the trusting cues. Yeah, we're going to probably be, I haven't been using this one much at all as far as a framework, but I'm going to start diving in. I feel like um, I've still had to kind of learn it and understand it to a point where we can start implementing it now. So I'm excited for that this, this coming season. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, the final framework that, that we, you talked about in the book was, uh, I call it like playing with, ho with house money. This, uh, concept you had it with Jennings and Wong when they were the lucky losers, they were out. And then luckily team drops out, they get back in, they end up winning the tournament and, uh, they should, they felt like they shouldn't have even been there in the first place. Um, when you go into a situation 
and you're playing with house money, essentially. It's like, do the best you can and come what may, it doesn't matter. We're just going to go, go all in and do the best that we can. Um, do you guys talk about that type of mentality? Have you guys ever used it? What, what, what we take away from that story? Um, I've used it on my own as far as like in the, on the AVP, we get double elimination. And I remember specifically a tournament in New York where Stafford and I lost, we were, you know, a higher seed. We lost first round and it was this whole mental exercise where I was like treating like the tournament was over. We lost. And then it's like, you get a fresh start, uh, a second chance to like, you know, to get back in and just treat as a gift the rest of the way. And, um, you know, we made it all the way to the final. Um, I think just that attitude where if you, for me, expectations are one of the hardest things as a player. Um, and I think once you're free of that burden, kind of like in the story of Jennings and Wong, um, I think that's where I play my best and it's definitely easier to play free. So um, I, I guess I would, I've never like explained that story specifically, but if I you maybe see players that look tight or not themselves, maybe it's a conversation we can have to try to get to that uh, free play. Yeah, and I, I haven't used it either. I mean, maybe on a smaller scale, this girl's siding out really well, got nothing to lose, like go for an ace, you know, stuff like that. Um, but probably more, I don't know if it quite applies, and I've already mentioned it a lot, just the idea of putting the focus on the values and less on the expectations. So, you know, you maybe could be playing a higher rank school, a big name school, and, you know, I who do we want to be? What are we about? What do we want to stand for over there? There's two girls named Sally and let's go play LMU volleyball. And so I think that's a way to put it. And maybe it feels like you're playing with house money. Like, yeah, as long as we can be great teammates, if we can communicate, if we can put in the effort we want, you know, we'll go, whoever's over there, we're going to go bring it, uh, you know, the way we want to play. So, yeah, but, but I don't think I've ever told the, told the Casey Jennings story. Um, yeah, but I think Neil's just like some of the stuff that I wish I would have put in the book, um, you know, a couple of years after. I think the values one is a, is a huge one. Um, and all, I guess all the mindfulness one. But yeah, like, again, that's something you can control, um, you know, kind of your values and who, how you want to represent yourself. And that should be maybe guiding the focus more than expectations of we, we need to win or we shouldn't win. Yeah, that one, I think, uh, it, I, I've never really used the playing with house money on teams, maybe a little bit with individuals and stuff, but I think that one kind of resonated with me. It's been a while since I've read that chapter. Um, and we've done some work on competitiveness and, and competition and using being competitive as a character trait. So basically what ends up happening is, uh, we defined it as striving to be your best. So when you talk about like trash talk, all the stuff that we've been talking about, um, that's what we're trying to do. That ties into our values. It ties into a lot of things. We're trying to represent, you know, Baker in the best possible way we we can with our values and we're striving to be our best. So if we're trying to make the those around us uh, better, we'll be better as an individual. The team will be better. So it kind of all ties into that. And then the, the playing with house money resonated with me because it felt like that was uh, sort of something that I got thrust into with, with just the way that I approached the game from an early on having the back injury in high school. And then, uh, essentially just not knowing, you know, what was going to happen. So it was kind of like, well, whatever, I, I shouldn't even be playing. Like, let's go, let's, let's do the best that we can and just see, I have no expectations. This could all end tomorrow. It almost did. Uh, and that, 
I think played a huge part in, in the reason why I had the career that I did and ended up where I was, but trying to get players and teams to, um, understand that is something I have struggled with. And I haven't really tried because I think it's something you almost have to experience, uh, like the Casey Jennings and, and Wong, like they experienced that in that one tournament. Um, I don't know yet how to develop that, but I think that mentality is very, very valuable. I just haven't yet quite figured out how to pass that on to teams or create a culture around that type of thing. You could be, what if you're really creative and I don't know, you're on a bus trip to go play someone who's a better team than you and halfway there, you know, you set it up with the bus driver and (laughs) you say, Oh, we got a flat and you know, we're not going to be able to make it. Like we're going to have to maybe walk there and then, you know you go out there and you pretend like you're messing around with it and spend an hour like i, I fixed it we can we get to play well, if there's one if there's one tool that you can use to build trust it's manipulation and deceit <laughs> i think that's the best one just lying to your team they'll think you're i you're, did it for you guys yeah yeah um that might be a good experiment and then they're playing with house money then they got to go through it yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend that, but it'd be it'd be fun to try. <laughs> All right, we do it. Any well, more? I have one. I have one uh, final thought, final question uh, oh. for each of you that is not on the sheet. Because I guess, uh, what can individuals do? Coaches do. What can we do to be better competitors tomorrow? We get good at what we spend our time doing. So compete a lot. Pepper, nice. Um, I think that's one. Um, I, I think it's helpful to have models. You know, Pete Carroll's a good example of someone who really values competing and look. You know, if that's what you value as a coach, watching how he does it, or if there's players who compete or yeah, they play in a way that you you admire. And it gives you, it gives you not that you have to be just like them, but it gives you something to aspire to. So I think it's nice to find those sorts of examples of, of people. Um, I don't know what else, Billy. Um, I think using a scale uh, with your players when you check in with them, like you know, maybe if you feel like a drill or game isn't competitive enough, and you bring them in, and you can be like, hey, like where do you think we were on a scale of one to ten, with ten being your know, national championship team level competition and then you know one being the opposite like where do you think we were um and my experience when you do that kind of stuff like they're pretty hard on themselves and they say pretty low numbers um and it's like hey okay we're at five like how can we be a you know a seven on this next rest you know the next 10 minutes here and some of that just like um acknowledging and being aware of where you're at on the competition spectrum um and then making it you know their choice um to to go higher i think is good All right. There you go. I like it. You accept it? Uh, accepted. I hope we're all, right. all be better competitors tomorrow. Or just talk trash to your team like John does. You can do that. Tear, <laughs> tear them down so you're the, the highest one. It works. Whatever it takes at all costs. <laughs> Got to do it. Thanks, guys. Turn, Thanks, guys. Turn your bus around. So it was... Uh, cool to go through another chapter i think we have a few more chapters for those of us those listeners who are 
reading along at the, the three-year-long process of Coach Your Brains Up Book Club. What's next? What's the next chapter? Uh, culture. Culture. Mm. Fun one. Until then, right? we'll see you guys in a year.